This is Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say, on the air. Tuning you into the Latino literary renaissance in all its splendor. Interviews, teatro, rap, fiction, poetry, memorias, composer spotlights, and more. Always mas. This is Tony Diaz, the Libro Traficante, author of The Tip of the Pyramid, Cultivating Community Cultural Capital. Thank you for joining us on a multi-platform broadcast for Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say. Today is a really special program, and before I tell you the context of who all our partners are, we're transmitting from, I do want to welcome our dear friend Cristina Rivera Garza. Qué gusto saludarte. Thank you for joining us desde Mexico, Mexico City también, right? Thank you so much for the invitation. Very happy to be here. Sí, desde la Ciudad de México. I'm, a, I'm a, actually at the heart of Mexico City in, in downtown uh, Mexico City, muy cerquita del Templo Mayor. Wow. So wow. It's, a, it's a great honor to be here talking with you and your audience. How symbolic, because I think your book is really the expression of so many of these cultural bridges. And, and here's yet one another one. Of course, we take you for granted because we have you and your brilliance here in our own backyard, but it's good to see you in Mexico. Para que nos acordamos de, hey, you know, you know, it's the, you're transmitting this art across so many different frontiers and borders. Today, we're going to talk about your new book, Liliana's Invincible Summer, A Sister's Search for Justice. Truly, truly incredible book. And we want to tell folks, too, that we're looking forward to, if I believe that this is correct, your first reading of the book in Houston, Texas, and it'll be at Nuestra Palabra on Wednesday, April 16th at the Bayou Place downtown. And I just want to confirm, will this be your first reading of the book in Houston? It is, in fact. So I'm absolutely thrilled to be doing this with you guys in, in Houston so soon. That means so much. And I want to tell folks, too, if you're tuning in right now, perhaps you're tuning in on social media. The show broadcasts first on the Facebook page for Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say. But then you might be seeing the video on fox26houston.com, or perhaps you're listening to the audio version that airs for free at 100,000 watts on 90.1 FM KPFT, Houston's community station. And I do pause and thank our listeners for supporting the show and the station. And I'm going to ask you one more time, if you can make a donation in the name of Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having to say, please go to kpft.org or dial 713-526-5738. So we continue to bring you world-class literature during prime time across all the highways in the fourth largest city in America. And to me, that's so important because there's still some of our community that can only access messages through free radio. They don't have to pay for a higher broadband, different services. It's free. More importantly, I want to make sure that our culture is spread along all those facets. But of course, we keep with the times, keep up with the times. So you can also get this through a podcast. You know, se pongan celosos. If you're listening to this after August 16th, and you're finding out after the fact that, oh my goodness, I missed that great reading. You can still get so much from this broadcast because you're going to find out not a lot, not only about writing, 
about aesthetics, about the heart it takes to create works of art, but also about our cultura, the power of language, the power of art. And I think all those are epitomized by, by, uh, by your book, Cristina. And I do want to remind folks as well that um, you know, you're an award-winning author. You have so many books. I'm going to mention one of them, uh, La Biografía de Algodón, the autobiography of cotton, because mi gente piscaban algodón. Uh, and, you know, that played a role in, in your legacy as well. Mm -hmm. So I want to give a shout out to, to that amongst all your books. Remind folks that you're a recipient of the MacArthur Fellowship, which we all nickname the Genius Award. Uh, congratulations for that. But I think what ties in, especially for today, is the Sorwana Inez de la Cruz Prize. Because for me, this book is so much in keeping with the work of uh, Sorwana, which we can talk about. But I also want to mention that you are the MD Anderson Distinguished Professor in Hispanic Studies and Director of the PhD Program in Creative Writing in Spanish in the University of Houston. I, I want to start there. Mm -hmm. get to a reading because I'm not aware of that. Is that, is the, does the University of Houston have the only PhD in creative writing in Spanish in the country? Isn't that interesting? This is, uh, as you well know, uh, we are a community of about what, 50 million, 60 million of uh, Latinx in the United States, 11 or 10 million of them are, we are, uh, Spanish, English bilingual. And of course, some of us uh, make um, our living and we devote our time to writing. And, um, and some of us write in Spanish because we live in the second largest uh, Spanish speaking country in the whole world. So it is just fitting that uh, in a city as diverse as Houston, where the Latino community is so important, that the University of Houston put, uh, you know, gather resources and, uh, and people and writers to create these, uh, in fact, you are totally correct, the first PhD program in creative writing in Spanish. I have to say, though, uh, there are three MFA programs in creative writing, uh, bilingual or in Spanish, and you, you know this very well, UTL, Paso, uh, University of Iowa, and NYU, the three of them have uh, these beautiful, wonderful, very important uh, creative writing programs at the MFA level. But what we're doing at the University of Houston is, um, is just uh, going the next step, mm -hmm. right? The, with the first PhD program in creative writing in Spanish in the country. And I think that's so fitting because this book really does so much to change aesthetics. Um, this, you play with all these different genres and you create something so vivid, strong. And my own personal take on anything from literary fiction to detective fiction, et cetera, is uh, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not a big fan. I'm a big fan of this book because you take all those and you make it so personal in such a powerful way. To me, it's clear that you are also a, a teacher of the craft. You are a genius of the craft. You are alguien que siente de la alma estas palabras porque este libro, I mean, you really, I think, have dug in deep in your heart to create a book that's very accessible. And I, I think people will not understand how deep this book is for years. 
they can they can enjoy it, but to me, I want to draw the link from that PhD program that you're one of the progenitors for to this book. Is it fair to say that this book is as cutting edge as I imagine? Plays with aesthetics as much as I imagine? Well, you know, I I I think of writing as a as a critical practice. Um, and, but also as a very personal activity. And I think both of them are closely interrelated. And, uh, and obviously, if, uh, if you're devoting time to, to, you know, hours, countless hours of research, of just thinking about it, meditating about your materials, uh, this cannot be uh, a personal a completely personal experience. And so for me, uh, uh, this book is perhaps the most personal of the books that I've written so far. This, it has taken me all the books that I've written uh, in the past, uh, all the things that I've been reflecting on, the classes that I've taught, the conversations that I've had with students and, and emerging writers, both in English and in Spanish. I think I've been preparing myself to write um, a very difficult book, uh, the book that I set out to write, I think, some 30 years ago, 40 years ago, when I started to think of myself as a writer. And, um, and I'm, I'm especially glad that I, I, was, especially, I, I was finally able to, to write this book in Houston, uh, in the company uh, of, um, you know, with, surrounded by these conversations that I've been um, uh, conducting with, with students and colleagues. And, and I think I needed that too. I needed that, that kind of context to be able to finally tackle one of the most uh, painful uh, subjects that I've, that I've written about. And I think too, that's why perhaps I might appreciate the way you approach the specific choices you've made in the book, because it's such a traumatic thing to, to investigate the, the, the murder of your sister, I can imagine. So that how can you then step back and, and walk through it and, 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 you know, story. Fuerte. And, and I think that's that makes it even more uh, uh, intriguing and intellectual. But I want people to know when you read the book, you're going you're gonna to feel it right away. And then it, it builds and builds. Um, I don't want to talk about the book. I want to hear it. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, it really is a pleasure to welcome Cristina Rivera Garza to Nuestra Palabra, Latino artists having to say. She will be reading an excerpt from her book, Liliana's Invincible Summer. And you can also... Meet her in person on Wednesday, August 16th at the ballroom at the Bayou Place, 560 Texas Avenue here in Houston, Texas. It's free. I'll also point out that we really do want to roll out the red carpet for everyone. Queremos que se sienten en casa. Nos vamos a inventar en inglés, español, spanglish, whatever you want to hear to feel at home. First hundred folks over 21, there's a free drink. We're going to have bites for you. And I tell you what. If you need valet service, we're going to put a number out for you. You can call that. We'll make sure you get valet service. I'll park your car for you if you have to. Having said that, it's going to be a wonderful party. And right now, it really is a great pleasure to hear an excerpt from her book, Liliana's Invincible Summer. Here is Cristina Rivera Garza. 
Hey, well, thank you so much. And um, perhaps just a couple of words um, framing the, the, my selection for, for this reading today. Um, you have to know that this book, which I've described as, uh, as one of my, the most personal book that I've attempted to write, is, uh, is an exploration of, uh, of the femicide that my sister, my younger sister, Liliana Rivera Garza, was victim of in, uh, back in 1990. Uh, she was 20 years old. Uh, she was a student, uh, an architecture student at the Universidad Autónoma Metropolitana in the area of Mexico City known as Azcapuzalco. And he had been she had been trying to, uh, to, to break up with a boyfriend that had become abusive um, over the years. Um, we all believe that Liliana was, was ready to, to begin um, a new life, a life uh, um, on her own, a life uh, full of dreams. When Angel Gonzalez Ramos, that's the name of uh, her boy, ex-boyfriend, uh, got into her room and, um, and killed her. And so, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I, I've been trying to write this story and it's a very difficult story to write on the one hand, because it's very, it's the, the storyline is so well known, uh, but the, the way in which it's been framed socially is, uh, is through a narrative known as um, the passionate crime narrative, which usually blames the victim and exonerates the perpetrator. So I didn't want to tell that story. I didn't want to write that story. I, I wanted to be able to gather, to invoke Liliana's own voice here. And I wanted that voice to guide me through, um, through her brief, but very rich, very luminous life on earth. I was lucky enough that I, uh, I, I got access to what I've been uh, describing as, as the archive, the personal archive which she built of herself. Uh, it was, uh, we, we of course gathered her belongings and uh, I was not aware that um, part of those belongings uh, in, in certain uh, cardboard boxes, what I was to find were her own diaries and letters and notes and um, just the record of, of her own voice, the way in which she saw her own world. So I had access to her, her eyes, the, the kinds of things that she was able to see, but I also was able to, and I had access to the kinds of things that she wasn't able to see. We hadn't developed a language precise enough to, to allow her to, to prepare for the kind of violence that was surrounding her. So this, by way of, um, of telling you why I've decided to, to read one of the letters that Liliana uh, um, uh, kept on, on this archive, in, in, in these boxes. Um, this is uh, her own voice, and, and as I said, this is the voice that I was listening to, the resonances of which led me uh, to, to make all the aesthetic and, and political decisions that I, that I was able to make throughout the writing of this book. This is the last page of my notebook. Well, the first one from back to front, you know, you know what I mean depending on how you look at it, because it is 
a matter of thinking young. It is a matter of thinking positively, a matter of focus. Don't you like the ad? Oh, well, I do. So what? Well, nothing. I am in such a completely lazy mood. And I am very sleepy too. And when you suffer from those two conditions, but nevertheless, you also have an aversion to sleep during wake hours, there is this very big shock. And do you know what happens? Well, in addition to sleepiness and laziness, a very funny foolishness crops up. That is happening to me right now. So much so that you, that you even feel like sitting down or laying down or kneeling just about anywhere. And then it, is just, it just so happens that you inevitably start thinking and thinking and you turn to look at the clock on the wall and you think that your mother is going to arrive soon and that you have to pay your school tuition bill and that today you didn't see Angel and you don't feel like training. You also think that you no longer want to train because when you are not in a quiet environment, it is impossible for you to develop your concentration, and full physical potential. And you think that your exams are almost here, and above all, you worry. But your worry is not big enough for you to get up, grab your notebook, and study, right? Well, something similar happens when you are like this because it is something exactly like that, huh? And if you don't know how to express what you're thinking, then something happens that seems very strange to you. It is something like wondering if you really are the one who is writing. As if, and suddenly, as if by magic, you remember a dream. I don't know when I had this dream. And as soon as it arrives, it just goes away and you forget it. And you're even more sleepy now and more. And ouch. Your back itches, your, you scratch with fury because it bothers you that you can't scratch comfortably. Jeez. And you wonder why they put so much chlorine in the pool. It makes my skin so very dry. And dryness is not the worst, but what dry skin gives off, itching. So you keep on thinking about the swimming pool and the chlorine, which in addition to the itching, leaves a characteristic smell of the so-called substance whose chemical symbol is CL. And then you remember your chemistry class and something else as a result, but it is nauseating and you prefer to leave it in peace. Peace, damn, what if there was peace? What if there were no people starving in the world? What if there was justice? What if people really appreciated each other for what they are and not for what they look like or their image? What if I fell asleep? What if you knew what would become of me?
are joined by Cristina Rivera Garza. She just read an excerpt from Liliana's Invincible Summer, A Sister's Search for Justice. That is, I want to talk about how haunting and touching uh, that is. Um, and I do want to remind people that they can meet you in person. And I think this book is really a powerful addition to anyone's Latino family library, your public library or your underground library, because that's where we're at in this day and age. And I hope folks will join us. It's going to be Wednesday, August 16th at the ballroom at Bayou Place, 560 Texas Avenue. And I do want to let folks know that admission to this amazing event will be free. The first hundred adult over 21 can who make it will get a free drink. We'll make sure you get free bites. And if you text 832-664-1180, we'll call you back with a code for valet as well. Why? We don't, I don't want anyone to have any barrier to get there that evening. And, um, you know, Christina is writing about the, the, the murder of her sister 30 years ago. Um, you just shared that powerful voice that, again, is just one other layer there. Um, I, I want put people to know, too, that when you begin the book, it seems like a straightforward uh if it would fit into different categories of writing, straightforward. So people, if people need that, it's there. But you still have that poet's touch for description, for voice. I want to contrast that voice to the line, who is really writing? So when you read that, what, what did you feel run through you when you saw that line? I mean, que uh, fuerte. It was. It was one of the most powerful experiences that I have ever gone through. Uh, just getting to read my sister's own notes allowed me to meet uh, many other facets of her. Of course, I was. A, I knew her as a sister, a much beloved sister. But I was not with her in school. I was. Uh, I was not her classmate at the university. I was not uh, a guy who might have been in love with her. So, just getting to to read. Um, uh, all her records gave me this powerful sensation that she was there with me and that, that her presence was, was surrounding me. She, she's been always with me. I knew that. Uh, but reading her materials just uh, made that all also uh, powerful. And so when I started to, to think about the book, uh, that's what I wanted to share with my readers. I wanted them to have that sensation that Liliana was there with them, that she was speaking to them as well. I wanted, uh, as I said, sadly, this story has been, um, um, it's been told from the point of view of patriarchy, the point of view of authority, and, and, and it's very well known. And in this kind of telling, um, women are always... Um, um, the the, the, the the responsible party for the violence they are victim of. But from, from this perspective, looking at the world through Liliana's eyes, I think we, we have that possibility of not only thinking about her death, but thinking about her life. And uh, my, my bet is that if we understand that uh, when, we, when we lose uh, these, these, these women to violence, that we are, in fact, all of us, not only the families, but all of us are missing a, a very important experience on earth. I think we're going to be able to miss them. 
And, and in that missing them constantly, we're going to be invoking them. And they're going to continue with us, teaching us about how to face the world, how to be brave, uh, and how to be ourselves too. You touch on so many aspects about what does it mean to be alive, what does it mean to, to, to resurrect the life, to save that voice. And it, it is a powerful testament to the power of writing when you bring your sister voice back. And, and, and she is such a fundamental part of the book. Um, to, to me, that speaks of that sort of Juana Inez prize as well, you know, um, and, and, and touches on this legacy of obscuring women's voices. And like you say, I should be a little more uh, graceful here. Uh, the reason I don't like genre stories is exactly what you said. They are crafted on the patriarchal point of view that obliterates all of us. And here you've been able to dismantle it, but in a very sophisticated, beautiful way. Um, did, did, was this the missing thread, so to speak? Was it, was it then your sister's voice that helped you melt through the genres or is that too simplistic? No, no, I think it was, it was absolutely important. It was, it was the piece that, that transformed the whole project. I, I was also able to interview, um, well, first to locate and interview my sister's friends from uh, three years back. I was able to talk to family members. I, was, uh, I did some research about, you know, Mexico City at that point, popular culture. So I wanted to bring the whole time alive. I, I, I know that when, um, when we come to stories involving violence, um, it is very common to just focus the whole thing on, 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 on the power that is exercised over the victims' bodies. And I wanted to have the other perspective too. I'm not saying that that, that, that power is not at play and that, and that it plays a major role in our contemporary world, sadly. But what I'm saying is that we have also these other perspectives, these other counter narratives that are that are so relevant. But in order to be able to embrace those counter counter narratives, we have to to use whatever it is at hand, uh, and we have to break any, uh, all whatever mold we've been uh, we received as given, and, and it could be uh, a literary genre, it could be automatic way ways of writing. I think when we really want to get to that, that, that kernel of humanity, to that, that palpitating place where, where these stories are created. And uh, we, we need to, to break through. We need to question, to interrogate, um, uh, receive wisdom. And then we'll be, we're going to be able to, to listen to, to really pay attention to what it is to be alive, what it is, what it, what is to 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 remain mm. right here on earth I think you also touch on that when you show how futile the you know, institutional uh, attempt to uh, maintain the story, lose that story is as well, because that is frustrating and that could have been so frustrating. Um, so I see that at work there as well. 
Um, I want to ask you two, two final questions. Uh, I think they're linked in. Um, you talk about femicide. And you talk about how, you know, um, it's approached differently now than back then. And you also talk about, you touch on how um, men are affected by it as well. And, and I think I, I want to give this message to uh, other men as well. We need to read this book and embrace it to, to liberate ourselves from a lot of this uh, patriarchal damage that we may think we're immune from. But I think you really eloquent to me. It reverberated throughout the book that that um, you know we are foolish if we as men don't think that this you know wears away at us and obliterates us as well. Um, let's talk a little about that that history of femicide because you 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 at the same time are are an activist, which I love. <laughs> you know, you point out activism. You you really bring that out in the book, which in literary fiction you're not supposed to do. You're literary fiction and you do it. Um, Talk to us a little bit about that part of your your delving into into the work. Yeah, sure, and and I think you're absolutely right on both accounts. Let me just mention first that usually when we talk about femicide from the United States, we tend to to locate femicide as a, as a phenomenon or a problem that takes place somewhere else, mm. Mexico, for example, places like Honduras. And I know that that uh, numbers are horrific. Data is terrible. We know that in places like Mexico or Honduras, 10 women are killed on a daily basis by their intimate partners. Uh, so there, there, there is that, and it is true. But please, let us not forget that uh, three women are killed by their intimate partners in the United States on a daily basis as well. So this is, this is quite alarming, alarming enough for some to call it um, a silent epidemic as well. So this is not something that is happening, you know, in those other countries far away from us. It is also endemic in our communities and we have to pay attention to that. And the same goes for men. I mean, obviously women have been uh, the victims for excellence of this patriarchal um, kind of violence, but we all suffer, we all lose. I think that's, that's a major, um, one of the, the major uh, threats in the book is not only the families, those of us who have been um, struggling with very complicated uh, mourning process, but all of us lose, all of us have something to lose when, when, when a woman, especially a young woman, uh, you know, is, is, is taken, is pulled apart, is taken from us in such a way. I have to say, though, uh, and, and this is very important, I'm, thank you for bringing it up, uh, that I, I wouldn't have been able to write this book without um, the, the kind of language that now allows us to identify the danger, that allows us to say, this is not love, this is, this is manipulation, this is not love, this is, this is control, this is power. I mean, this is the kind of language that I think we owe a great, um, um, great gratitude. In fact, or personally, I see it this way, to to women's mobilizations throughout the last uh, 20, 30 years, 
and and I am speaking, uh, you know, about women's mobilizations, including feminist mobilizations, but but beyond that as well. I think women from um, from the United States, women from Latin America right now, are at the forefront of this struggle, developing legislation, developing language, so that our next, uh, you know future generations of women are able to see clearly and protect themselves as well. So we all need that. And, and that's very clear to me. Uh, as, as, a, as a writer, I get to, to work very closely with a language that doesn't belong to me, mm. the language that belongs to entire community of practitioners. And so I, th I think to me that's really, that, that connection is organic and that's the one that allows me to say what you just said. I mean, writing is, is, a, is, a, is a way of, um, it's a form of activism too. It's, regardless of the political perspective, I mean, we are, we are dealing as writers with, um, with materials that are very powerful, with meanings that come you know, from far away in history, from other latitudes. So all that, all that material, all that, all that energy uh, it's it's uh, you know dealing working closely with that energy is, is very delicate and every single decision uh, when I'm writing that's the reason why, why I'm why why I say that every single aesthetic decision that I make during um, the writing of a book or a piece is also a political decision and messing with power because language is precisely the the territory in which we deal with with that with power. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to get up close to the source of this magical writing, but also at the same time, uh, you are, like you say, doing a lot of activism in that you're engendering a whole new way of looking at writing, even from the academic world, PhD in Spanish, uh, women's voices, humanizing us men so that we can understand the pain that, that we're, the trauma that we're receiving, and then also edifying Latinos, porque me da un orgullo de que una Latina escribe una obra así, que se recibe tan, de este, este nivel, pero al mismo tiempo que toque el corazón, but also that is aesthetically top of the world as well. So thank you so much for joining us today. I hope folks will take advantage of this chance to meet uh, Christina in person. It'll be Wednesday, August 16th. 6.30 to 8 p.m. at the ballroom at Bayou Place, 560 Texas Avenue. Admission is free. And um, as I said earlier, we want to make sure that you feel spoiled. We want you to enjoy literature. And we're going to have folks from the community there, other folks that you will recognize as well. And I'm not kidding. It's free. We'll feed you. And if you need me to park your car, well, I'm not going to do it, but <laughs> you can text Nuestra Palabra at 832-664-1180. We will text you back with a code for free valet. Uh, un abrazo grande, Cristina. I wish you continued success. Thank you for being a genius and down to earth and for all you do. Muchas gracias. Thank you so much for organizing this event. I'm, I'm Really thrilled, looking forward to, and los veo allá, los veo en Houston muy pronto. Fantastic. Desde, desde Ciudad México, Mexico City, that's been uh, Cristina Rivera Garza. We've been talking about our book, Liliana's Invincible Summer, A Sister's Search for Justice. I do want to thank the entire Nuestra Palabra team. I want to thank Roxana Guzman, who's our multi-platform producer, 
Rodrigo Bravo, who's our sound engineer. I want to thank all the volunteers and also the entire team of Nuestra Palabra. Also, all everybody from KPFT that tunes in. We appreciate everyone at the station, 90.1 FM, KPFT, Houston's Community Station. I want to remind you, too, that the only reason you can hear this high level of literature that's from the heart of our community is because we control the airwaves at 90.1 FM. That's only possible through your support. So I hope if you enjoy this and all the other programming that we're able to put together, that you can make a donation in the name of Nuestra Palabra, Latino Writers Having to Say, to KPFT by visiting kpft.org or calling 713-526-5738. I'm Tony Diaz, Libre Traficante. Thank you so much for joining us. and look forward to seeing you behind the book. Gracias. <laughs>